I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And I'm Andy from ASM. And we're track walking. Tonight we've got the ASNASM. Uh, Andy's been a car. Like, like you've got a single named partner named Motorsports or something. Um, but we've got Andy. And. Um, and he's been on our list for a little while because he's been doing this race car thing um, for a while. And Seth and I just talked about, it. I think the way that we both met you initially was through the one lap. How, I, I, I hesitate to like say like, how did you get there? Cause well, I, I don't want to jump into that quite yet, but like, I remember you, it was you and Ronnie, and I forget the third guy in the Evo with the Brandon. grid life. Yeah, Brandon, that's right. Yeah. With the yeah. grid life livery, like, that was the year that you guys were like, we put these stupid wide 615 tires. They're so fast. They're great in the wet. Yep. And I met you before that when you were uh, lap puppies, and I was in my Cadillac. Yeah. Was was that not your first year one lap? That was my first year one lap too. Okay. Yeah. We were yep. both lap so that was we were all learning as we went along. It's just yeah. that you were you guys were super fast and good at it and I was pretty terrible at it. So we're still yeah. figuring stuff out. You guys got better and I never did, but uh that's fine. <laughs> well, you you kept picking slower and slower cars. Yeah. If, that's true. That if, was if y- we're yeah. Being honest. <laughs> you 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 started here and you just slowly got into slower and slower cars. I know where my talents lie. Yeah, we went the other way. We went with just even more uh, stupider cars. <laughs> well, I mean, Super K last year, I guess the last really three years, but it's been in very different configurations with Super K. Is Super K even with the DCT? Is that was that really crazier than that Evo you guys brought? I think so. I think it was uh, the Evo was honestly the Evo felt a lot more comfortable than Super K. You know the the Evo still had full exhaust. You know room for four people. He had AC in it. Super K had no AC. Pretty much full time heat. Had to have the windows down. Side exit exhaust plus a transmission that at the time wasn't shifting very well. Right. So. Yeah, it was was not comfortable, and in, in fixed race seats too, so you can't even recline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know the pain. Although you guys, yeah, you kept yeah. doing it over and over again. <laughs> I know. I swore it. Last last year was the last year. I don't think we'll use Super K again for for one lap. <laughs> yeah, and that'll. So I guess go go through your one lap car selection from your first time up until this last time through sure really it's it's been kind of uh the list is short it's really only two cars uh the first one being um ron's evo we did that for four years um the first two years actually went really good we the first year we finished third place first year doing it third place overall first in class and then the second year uh we did second place uh overall first in class and then 
two years after the, the next two years in Evo, we had some failures that took us out of the overall running. I think we ended up doing, I think we still were able to make climb our way back to like top 10 finishes, but uh, we had a clutch failure one uh, year and then an engine failure the next year. And then after that, it was uh, the S2000 Super K. So I did that for three years in Super K, uh, fifth year overall finish, I think, the first year with Super K. And then the next two years were second place overall. And that first year with Super K is when it, OG Super K, when it was still yellow. It's, yep. And it pretty, pretty basic at that point. Yeah, supercharged. And I remember during transits, you guys just took the belt off the supercharger. Yeah. Yeah, the superchargers were known to eat up bearings and stuff. Um, and you kind of have to run some tight belt tension. Otherwise, you start running into the belt. It was a cog belt, so it would start tearing the belt apart. So we just decided to take the belt off and not have to worry about any of it during transits. It was usually fine for track. It's just the extended running of the supercharger would eat up bearings or belts. So just simply disconnect it, uh, head it down to about a five-minute process of just being able to disconnect the belt, zip tie it off to the side, and then just yeah, just run NA. How was that throttle response with a dead <laughs> supercharger was, on it? Right. It was it was a little laggy. Um, and, I mean, we're also towing about 1,000 pounds of, of equipment with the trailer and everything. So it was, it was not fast at all. It was so slow. Was that when you guys had the welder on the back still, too? Yeah. Well, I mean, every year we've brought the welder. Okay. The welder has just become a necessity. Like that's, you can fix just about anything with the welder. Yeah. And you guys have needed it over the years. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yep. Um, so I've got some theories about next year based on kind of what you're doing at the garage right now, but are you guys, do you guys like have a solid plan for what you want to take since Super K is kind of out of the picture for the one lap? So, uh, it kind of hurts me saying it, but next year we probably aren't going to be doing one lap this next year. Um, Alex will be in uh, England, actually. He's got some family stuff going on over there, so he's gone during one lap. And then af- after this last 22, 2022 season, like things got like a lot. There was a lot of events, and 2023 is starting to look even crazier, and I have to start weeding out a few events Um just you know time resources money all that stuff and um probably not going to do one lap this year Um, i'm really hoping that's not going to end it in you know for the following year i want to i do want to do one lap and i want to come back uh i don't know exactly what car that will be in yet but probably not yet nothing for 2023 okay (laughs) because i don't know i think a v8886 would be yeah pretty good one lap car (laughs) Yeah, maybe not the one that's in the shop now, but um, I, I dude, there's a list of so many cars I would love to do one lap in, and all of them are probably pretty stupid. Um, you know, like there's so many better cars to do it in. You know, just a, any stock car would probably be more enjoyable. Um, but there's something about that, like it's gotta, it's gotta be brutal. It's gotta be painful. It's gotta be, you know, a challenge that really attracts me to that. Yeah. Yeah, that was something uh, Becky and I this year, I was actually kind of nervous about because we had done the one lap for three years in the Miata and had never had AC, had never had um, a radio. I mean, had, you know, got 
progressively dumber every year that we we did it and then all of a sudden we were going to be in this Mazda 2 that like has a hatch and has a C has cruise controls the first uh well it had been a year since we had cruise control um and like I was kind of worried that like I wasn't going to enjoy it because like if the yeah, transits aren't hard like that's right. I mean I I remember between you remember I think it was 2018 we had that brutal transit from High Plains to Crescent. It's like a 12 and a half, 13 hour transit. The, the, the rain, the torrential downpour and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. We, um, I remember that, that transit in particular, like our car, because you're also like, it's at night and you usually get the blinding sun. Of course, like we didn't have tinted windows that first year cause we're idiots. <laughs> and, our phones shut off and we realized that uh, iPhones shut off due to heat when it gets to 113 degrees. <laughs> yeah. 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 Our phones would do that constantly too. in, in super K cause the center council would just heat up. So if either Alex or I put our phones on the, the center council where the shifter was, yeah, our phones would just start overheating Yeah, and then shut off. Yeah. Top tip. Don't do it. <laughs> Um, but long story short, uh, Mooncake is very loud on the highway. It's not a super soft ride. Um, even though it has some comforts, I wouldn't call it a comfortable car by any stretch. So I think I had enough hardship that it was like, you know, wasn't a comfy, uh, Cadillac or anything like that. It's still hard in an easy car. Trust me. <laughs> so let's, let's start at present day. Andy Smetigard. And let's, we don't want to go back in time. We don't want to like well, probe his childhood because that's fun. Let's talk about this year and then let's figure out how we got here. All right. Because things have escalated, Andy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you know yeah. this about your life. <laughs> um, yeah. Talk to me about this year, um, kind of what you are kind of responsible for at the tracks, the different types of events you guys were helping out with, showing up to, just kind of give us a picture of what your season looked like. So, um, first off, our, our uh, I guess when I say we, um, I, mean, I kind of refer to everyone that has kind of been a part of ASM, and, and it's not just me. Um, I mean, there's a lot of key people that have been involved with everything, so it's, I guess I'm kind of more referring to we as a team, um, but we uh, had several events on the schedule for this year. Uh, the first one, I think, kind of being uh, when we started doing uh, the grid life stuff, the GLTC. I think the first event was like Coda. Uh, I think NCM was in there. And then um, that was kind of our big series commitment that we, between at least Tom and I, of running GLTC, that's what we wanted to go after is, is winning GLTC this season. Um, so we did kind of made the decision to run every single GLTC round, um, did every single grid life event, uh, which was a lot. I think, what was our seven, seven, eight rounds total? I think. God, I feel like there were more than that. So there's Coda, NCM. Yep. AMP. AMP. 
There was Gingerman, Autobahn, Mid Ohio, Mid Ohio, Heartland, and JMP, Lime Rock, Lime Rock. <laughs> yeah, I knew okay, there were more than that. God, I feel like we're even missing one. There were a lot. Yeah, there was a lot. So we did every single one of those events, uh, which we ended up kind of accomplishing our goal. We wanted to do a one-two season, and we ended up do- achieving that, which is really cool. Um, we also did one lap, and that was kind of the same thing again. It was kind of a battle between Tom and I, uh, you know, our, our teams for first and second. So we ended up actually doing a one-two finish um, there as well. He, he won in the uh, Corvette, and then Super K took second again. Uh, another thing we added to our uh, season was um, Robert Thorne wanted to do Prospect with his drift car. So we competed a four-round series with Prospect, and he ended up winning that series. Uh, and for 2023 now is going to do full-on Formula Drift, the Pro Series, which is an eight-round series. Uh, what else did we do? We did... Um, we started getting into doing some uh, WRL endurance racing events. We did yeah. two two this year. So we did Mid-Ohio and Coda. Just did Coda two weeks ago. I think that's... I mean, that's pretty much all of the big events we've done. We 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 also did some smaller low key, you know, events, some little autocrosses. We hosted our own little, little drivers at event. Uh, yeah, I think there was only two weekends throughout the entire from from February all the way to October, end of October. There was only two weekends throughout that entire time period where we were home. So it was gone every weekend. Otherwise, that's insane. <laughs> it's <was> a lot. <laughs> It's a bit too much. I, I really enjoy being at the track, but I don't know if I enjoy being gone that much. Yeah, because, I mean, and you're even talking, you know, <gasps> you, you know, doing the grid life events, but just doing the grid life events is more than just getting in the car and racing. Like, especially for you, like, I'm not sure. I'm, I have to assume that there were more than a handful of races where you got in the car and totally didn't think about like ways you could improve oh, for sure. starts, yeah. racecraft, none of that. It's like, oh, it's time for a race. I need to get it in the car. Right. Because it, it, it was definitely a, a lot of that. And and honestly, that's kind of um it kind of turned me off a bit of like I, I found myself not enjoying getting in the car and going racing. Like it was almost like oh, gotta get in the car. I didn't even get to catch my breath. So um, this next year, I'm, I'm probably not going to do as much GLTC racing myself. I might still do like one or two, but I want to actually back off and just, I'll still have, I still have 90% of the fun or I'll probably still have almost hundred percent of the fun still being there, still crewing and supporting and, and being a part of it without having to drive. So if I can just free up a little bit of my own capacity and then maybe just actually relax a little bit, maybe get to enjoy, enjoy things a bit more than it just being total chaos um, while being able to, you know, completely free up a, a spot on the trailer for another car or whatever, you know, it's another, it's one less car I have to get ready. So I'll probably sit back a little bit from the GLTC and then I kind of have my own personal goals, what I want to do next year. And I'm going to try to do those outside of those GLTC weekends. Because in GLTC, how many, ASM supported cars like if they all showed up yeah there was a couple of them I think there was uh six or seven GLTC cars 
So plus then we still have yeah, a collection of some time attack cars and some of the events that we're also doing drifting at. We have, you know, two or three drift cars. So yeah, it's it's and, and when there's something wrong on a car, it's like all hands on deck, you know, have to you know, jump out of my car still in a race suit to to fix another car because we only have an hour sometimes till the next race. So it's yeah. But you're the captain of the ship, so if something happens like there's never a problem that you're not involved in, right? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I try to obviously be there, um, but I, I mean, I couldn't have done a lot of this without the help of, of especially a couple key people that come with to help out just for track support stuff. And, and we're all a team too. So, I mean, even other drivers from some of the other cars step in, you know, Robert, for example, he's done GLTC. He'll get out of the car and he's right there in the, you know, helping me fix whatever other car. So, I mean, it's, it's a, still a collective team effort for sure. Uh, yeah. That just sounds exhausting. I mean, yeah. I mean, when, when Brian and Becky both were there and like we had one person helping us, like it seemed like too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was your year. And I'm curious going into this year, you said that you and Tom had the goal of, uh, season points wise doing a one, two. Mm -hmm. How I'm trying to formulate the question. Why was that the goal? Like that's one, that's a lofty goal in GLTC, but I mean, it it was, it was the goal. I wouldn't say it was the expectation. We did. We, you know, you always set your goal high, but expectations lower. Um, and Going into the season, honestly, we didn't even halfway through the season. We didn't think that was going to be a. We didn't think it was going to happen. I mean, it, it didn't form, formulate to like the last two or three events. We're like, all right, this is we this is the finish order we need to finish in if we want to actually make this a one-two finish. Yeah, it seemed like the first half of the season versus the second half were very different. Right. So the, yeah, the first half we just kind of were still rolling with it, trying to just do as best we could, um, and then the second half, and then you know. Tom and his car just got dialed in. So he, he kind of started running away and then it was me trying to like, hang on. Um, but I guess I don't, the, to answer your question, why was that the goal? Um, I mean, I think that was kind of one of the, the more challenging things to go after is, is to win a season. You know, you can't just be fast for one race, but you have to be consistently fast throughout the whole season. And, and that's what we wanted to prove is that, you know, we feel we can do the driving part and we needed to be able to make sure the cars could do it. And it was just one of those things we wanted to do just to prove we could do it. So So you're, you do hard things on purpose. Yeah. How (laughs) did you like, so you're an actual adult who, who does hard things on purpose. How did you, I want to, I want to get back into the early Andy part. So you grew up in Wisconsin. So you're a boy in Wisconsin who does not see driving S2000s across the country in his future. How did you get there? What happened to you? Uh, <laughs> what moose did you have to go wrestle? So I, Honestly, it really didn't happen. You know, I, I had my normal day job. I was working IT, and I, did, I don't know if I was as passionate or, or driven to, like, do what I'm doing now then that made sense i it wasn't until i kind of um 
started meeting certain people that like really started driving me to, you know, want to learn more and to push boundaries and push limits and stuff. Um, and I think once, you know, it, honestly, it was, it was Ron that really helped get me into a lot of the stuff. And he's the one that kind of showed me things. And once I started learning and, and figuring stuff out, I found out how rewarding it was to like, you know, put in so much effort and then you finally accomplish whatever it is you're trying to achieve. That I don't, it was super rewarding to me. So that's kind of the thing I've, I've always after is pushing myself beyond what I think I could do and trying to prove to myself I can do it. So, and that's just kind of I, I, everything. I think that maybe echoes in everything we do or we're trying to do anyways is just push, push ourselves to the limit. When did you get why. into cars? <laughs> when, when did you get into cars? Like what, how uh, did that so, ruin your life? Uh, that was probably kind of right out of, you know, you get your driver's license, started getting, you know, an interest into cars. It wasn't until I was probably uh, closer to like 21, 22, where I met a, a local guy around here that got me into some autocross stuff. And it, it, that, that really opened my eyes up to like what a car sh- is meant for. And at the time I had a, I, th- I think I had a Mustang and I took it to this autocross and totally got my ass kicked by <laughs> guys in, you know, civics and whatever. And it, at that point I'm like, all right, I, I need to learn how to drive. I can't, you know, having a fast car is one thing, but like knowing how to drive it is way cooler. And that's where I kind of like changed everything. I sold, you know, I had a, it was a 500 horsepower Mustang at the time. I sold that, got into some DSMs and started doing more autocross and driving events. And that just kind of spiraled from there. Just, um, Wait. Actually, I, I feel I got more addicted to the driving part than cars, and cars just became the necessity to driving. How old were you, and you're driving a 500 horsepower Mustang? 18. How, <laughs> how, how did that work out? So uh, that's kind of a funny story. At, at the time, so I, I was 17 at the time, and I had this Mustang Mach 1, an older Mustang. You know, it, it just made cool noises. Beyond that, it was kind of garbage. It's an old car. And I met this other local uh, guy just cruising around town. He had a this it was a Mustang Cobra with supercharger. It was actually all set up for like road racing at the time. I didn't know what any of this was about, but um, he took me for a ride and like kind of like tossed the car around a little bit. And he he was skilled enough. Like he's this guy did track days, so he was skilled enough in driving. And it, and I was just like, oh my god, I I want a car that handles well. I want a car that does this that stops good. You know. My old Mach 1 was just a, you know, a huge lumber wagon. Um, so I sold my Mach 1 and bought this guy's Mustang and um, instantly blew it up. Like four months after I bought it, it like blew up. <laughs> but I, it sat in the garage for like a year while I tried to save up enough money to, to rebuild the engine and everything. But um, yeah, and my, and my parents let me buy this car without really knowing what it was. Like they just thought it was a Mustang and here it was like this big vortex supercharged, you know, 500 horsepower <laughs> as a roll cage. Oh, I had a cage too. <laughs> a little four point roll bar. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Jesus. Yeah. That's when you convince your parents, you're like, no, no, it's safer this way. Cause it's got <laughs> yeah. the roll bar. <laughs> yeah. I think at that time they maybe gave given up on me. I was like, I, I was 18 and you know, at that age, you're kind of in this little rebellious stage and they're like, whatever, just get whatever you want. So you went to, or you went from a old Mustang to a new Mustang, sold that. Yep. And what did you say you got? I, I went through about 30 to 40 different DSMs. 
So, Good like, lord, hold on, hold that's on. a lot of felony clips. Late. Yeah, I, I was kind of going through a phase where I'd buy and sell, and you know, maybe try to like get it at a good deal, fix it up, and maybe sell it, make a few bucks. Um, so I, I went through a handful of those cars. Uh, and that's what thirty kind and of forty fun. is more than a handful, Andy. It, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> um, but uh, then from there it went into Evos, and you know, a lot at the same time I'm still trying to like figure out the driving thing. I. I I was starting to get really big into autocrossing. And then um, I, I started doing like, I, I could only afford at the time, like one, maybe two track days a year. It was just at Blackhawk, just like open track days. And I started getting into that and um, got really interested in doing bigger track stuff. I went with a friend, actually, well, Micaiah uh, Hackbarth. He, he's done some GLTCs with his Porsche, but mm-hmm. at the time he had an Evo um, and he did uh, the. Uh, Global Time Attack came to Autobahn Country Club. This was like back in 20, man, 2010 or something. I don't know, long time ago. And I went with him to that event, and it was all the big heavy hitters from you know California. Brought out some of their Time Attack cars and and did Autobahn, and that kind of got me like interested in doing Time Attack. Uh, so from that point on, I'm like, all right, I need a Time Attack car, and I found an Evo. Uh, it's actually the same Evo I still have now, that the one that had the grid life livery and everything. Yep. I bought a. It was a at the time pretty uh, a stock motor, but had full cage, uh, had a little bit of aero. wasn't anything super crazy, but it was a 400 horsepower Evo. Uh, bought that, and then yeah, just started kind of doing some Time Attack. Did NASA TT, um, grid life actually the, their very first inaugural event. I went to with that car. Uh, it was just a one-day event for Grid Life, and did their time attack and won with that car. So, and then from there, kind of, I think you guys might know the rest. <laughs> yeah, um, we, we can guess at the rest, but like, yeah. Well, why an Evo? Was it yeah, like just the car? Was that just the car to have at the time? Uh, for me, I went with Evo because it was the the next step from dsms you know it was the new dsm right um so i I actually had an sti in there too i was kind of bouncing around a few cars i had a uh wrx i had then i had an sti um but i i had a couple evos in there before this this current evo that i have and i i really just loved evos i loved how they drive um and yeah, they're, as far as making big power and stuff, they were a little easier to make power with than the Subarus and stuff. So, yeah, you decided to go with the Evo. You, you chose wisely. Yeah, we we give Subarus a lot of shit on this show. So. <laughs> um, so you go, yeah, in 2010, especially for North American Time Attack, is pretty old, which is yeah. weird to say. Yeah, we we really didn't have true Time Attack. Um, back then here i mean it was you just had your tt your nasa tt stuff and that was about it which never really had serious time attack cars that we're used to nowadays it was all just you know kind of you know i don't know they were all powered to weight and just nothing near what we have yeah it was largely road course it was largely like road race type cars for guys who weren't quite road racing yet or they did it as an addition to the road race weekend right. at least in texas that's almost all what it was back then So you started work. So this was something I like to do this from time to time. I want to tell one of your stories, but from my point of view, okay. because it 
it cemented something in my mind about the way you and Ron are wired and it's different. So we've got our real stock Miata um, and no trailer at the time on the one lap. And we're just doing the one lap, you know, for shits and gigs, trying to have a good time, drive a lot of new tracks, meet a lot of cool people and stuff like that. And so we going to one of our hotels uh, at Crescent the night before MSR Crescent, we pull up to the real shady hotel that we were staying at and um, bottomed out on something which caught the exhaust and instant uh, exhaust leak. So it was like, all right, uh, got to get that fixed in the morning. Unfortunately, MSR Crescent, uh, they actually have a shop on site. So we get with them in the morning and um, you know, I talked to Brock that morning. I'm like, hey, Brock, got a exhaust leak. I'm going to try to fix it. But if I can't, is it okay if I run? And as I've come to learn, Brock's like, it's not my car. I don't give a shit. Uh, do whatever you want, kid. Um, so we've got our car up on the lift getting welded. And you guys come yeah. in with a broken car. And you guys all of a sudden, like, you're pushing this car, like, with a real serious look on your face. Somebody <laughs> has, like, clutch boxes is walking to the car and as you guys like borrow a lift and one of the things and i still use this to this day the first thing ron does is that he organizes the tools and i've come to appreciate if you take the three minutes to organize the tools that speeds up the entire job from there on out and you guys proceed to just tear this car apart as gently but as quickly as possible working around each other like it's it's kind of a poetry in motion almost Mm -hmm. and then you know we go do our run and our first run and then you guys are like first out in the afternoon and you've got like 10 minutes before you're going and was it you or Micaiah who was driving? Brandon. 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 Brandon was, yeah. He was getting strapped in while we were still, like, pumping in diff fluid. Yes. So, <laughs> and, yeah, so somebody brought him a ladder while the car's, like, still, like, five or six yes. feet in the air. He climbs in with his gear on, is getting strapped in. You and Ron are, like, shouting at each other. The car <laughs> lowers, and somebody somebody basically says, like, I mean, break in, just launch it, and we'll see what happens sort of thing. And somebody's like, yep. all right, you guys are going out now. So you leave leave the shop, go directly out on track for your recon lab, and everyone's watching over this uh, this paddock across at your car when the green flag drops. And it's a standing start with a brand-new yep. clutch, all-wheel drive, high-horsepower Evo, we don't quite know what's going to happen and it just launches four wheels spinning and goes and everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it was the the longest version of that track, right? It was the full course, so yes. it was like like four miles, and you do three consecutive laps, and yeah, it literally didn't. It, it drove left the shop straight onto the track, launches it, and then I think he actually still took first overall that session. It it, it was <laughs> it was an impressive drive, regardless. Yeah, that was, that's fun story to listen to. So why? You guys genuinely seem like I like driving. I like tinkering with cars. You guys seem to relit or re- like really come in. I, I can't say like you like disasters, but yeah. like when things go wrong, you guys seem super comfortable with doing what needs to be done. Yeah. How that's We've gotten desensitized to it a bit over the years, <laughs> right? Like, it's it's not something you want to happen, but it's something you know. You know, you you play with fire long enough, you're going to get burned. So we were expecting something to happen eventually, and um, yeah, I mean, we've just been doing. We we played very dangerously with fire a lot, so we've just gotten used to getting burned a few times and and figuring out how to put it out. <laughs> Which probably explains why uh, why your trailer has a welder and a lot of. <laughs> extra parts on it being prepared is 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 basically racing the more prepared you can be the better you will be you guys also i heard this somewhere and i i guess i want to hear it from you that there was there's something about helping other people as well like did you and ron actually have a competition (laughs) kind of in the paddock sometimes we'll like we we We'll see people struggling, you know, and, and trying to fix their car. And I mean, that's what we do every day. We diagnose and fix cars. So you, you start to become pretty good at it. And um, you start to see people in the paddock that, I mean, that's, they're there just, that's their, their hobby. They don't necessarily know how to diagnose cars. I mean, they might not know, how, they'll get there eventually, but sometimes we can diagnose things in minutes where it might take someone else an hour or two. So we would always just kind of go around and see if we find someone struggling with something and try to quickly get them back on track and, you know, we'll save them two hours and we only have to give up five minutes. So, (laughs) but that's, I mean, it sounds cool and I get it, but it's like, it's not something everybody does nor like as ferociously as you guys did it for a few years. (laughs) Like you guys were aggressively finding problems out there. It it started to get into a little competition for a while. (laughs) That makes sense. But like yeah. why where where did that desire to like want to walk outside of your own paddock space, which again like happens at grid life, but it's not necessarily a common thing to like walk towards a problem and actively yeah. like try to help somebody you may not know. Sure. I don't know if we we honestly we weren't always actively seeking it. A lot of times you'll just you know, you you kind of know you, you you hear a car being you know coming in and it's running on three cylinders instead of four, or you see someone getting towed off track. I mean, you, you kind of start to notice some of that stuff. And kind of sadly, this last year it was tough to really get outside our paddock because we had so much of our own cars to fix that we never got to really you know step outside that as yeah. much as we would like to. Yeah. What What do you miss about that? honestly just yeah getting out and starting to just meet new people and you know 
talking to them, hearing, just, just meeting new people. Um, I, I do miss that a lot. And I'm hoping next year I can do that more. I'm, I'm hoping I can, maybe me not racing as much will allow me <laughs> to just step out and, and start talking to more people and, and hopefully helping others too. Yeah. So you started with autocross and you said Blackhawk was your first like on track experience. Yep. Yeah. That's a wicked first track. I love that place. (laughs) Was it still on the, it's current configuration when you Mm -hmm. started? Okay. Yeah. 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 The current configuration has been around for like 20 some years. They haven't that really old configuration. I think was like, that was back in the eighties or something. I think. Gotcha. And then you, in the past few years, decided to take up drifting things. <laughs> yeah. And and the motif and, like, um, connection point here is, like, I, I keep hearing you, like, being drawn to a challenge. Like, why? So why go from one thing to road racing and then, okay, I've done that. Let's go slide around a car. Uh. So, I mean, I, I think it comes from when I was doing ice racing. The, the ice racing stuff really got me hooked on, like, sliding a car around and, and learning, like, total car control. So, I kind of always wanted to start doing drifting. But, but it wasn't until I actually had, had my own drift car that I could start doing more of it. I think you may have drifted into a uh, so uh, a, a uh, low Wi-Fi signal area. Still there? There you are. Okay, sorry. No, no, you're <laughs> what I leave off. You're good. Um, started with ice racing, uh, learning total car control. Yeah, that's what kind of got me interested in doing some drift events. Is 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 just sliding a car around, learning learning that total car control. Just trying to get away from my dogs. They're making too much noise. <laughs> no, you're good. What um I and I totally forgot about the whole ice racing thing. My dad uh, went to college in Wisconsin and you know, talked about the lake that was right next next to there that they would, you know, drill down, be sure the ice is thick enough and then just go take their cars out on the lake and you know yeah. go go race. What um what is like, what's the challenge or what's the, what does ice, driving on ice force you to do that driving on track doesn't? So when you're driving on track, most drivers are spending 98% of the time under the limit of grip, right? You're really not driving over over the limit, at least most drivers. You're, mm-hmm. you're always, you know, you're driving under grip, but you're never like really like sliding the car. Drifting's the opposite. You're driving most of the time sliding a car, so you're driving well over the limit of grip. Mm. And that's where I feel ice racing is teaching you how to really balance that because you have to be – the car's almost always in a slide. So I feel like if any driver can really learn how to drive over the limit of grip and other, under the limit of grip and then be able to balance and, and fine-tune from there, that'll just be a, to- a, a better total overall driver. Mm. What was what was the hardest thing for you to learn uh, starting out on ice and and drifting? Uh, patience. 
mostly on, on ice, it's patience, being able to like wait for the grip, feel it out, not getting overly aggressive with inputs, uh, which is kind of the same with drifting too. I mean, all your inputs and stuff need to be smooth and, and um, you know, a lot of the same stuff. Uh, but on ice, generally things are happening a little slower. We're drifting things just happening faster, just with a more overall grip. So, and then you guys had, uh, you talked about this driver's ed event that you guys put together and it's, it's not really driver Like it's not for kids. No, <laughs> um, it's, it's an advanced, we'll call it an advanced driver's ed. Yes. Um, what was, what was your thought in, in starting that? It, it was to kind of merge those two aspects of driving together. Um, you know, the, you have, you have the autocross guys who are kind of, you know, they're kind of know how autocross people are, right? They're, they're sometimes very set in doing just autocross grip driving. Uh, and then you got the drifters, you have like two very, uh, ends of the spectrum and we we're trying to merge those two together. Um, so we'd create a course that has a lot of autocross elements, but also make it where you could kind of drift it. And, and we tried to create like a point structure where, you, you know, if you drift the course in the perfect fashion, you would deduct so many seconds off your time that it would equal the same as, you know, an autocross guy would drive it as fast as he possibly could. Mm. So it was to try to just kind of merge those two driving styles together uh, and to try to get people a little bit outside their comfort zone um, and just learn, you know, to have that total car control. If you, if you can learn how to slide a car around, that's going to make you a safer driver. When you're on track and the car is sliding around, a lot of drivers aren't ready for it and don't know what to do with it. So what we're trying to do is build you into a driver that is super comfortable when the car is sliding. So that way, when the car does get in the slide, you don't panic or, you know, put, do the wrong input. You, you can easily save it. And I, I think as well, like at slower speeds than you typically would see on track. Yeah. I mean, that's where we'll start, you know, is, is doing, slow speed autocross type stuff, you know, 30, 40, maybe 50 miles an hour. But uh, we're hoping eventually that you could even get into maybe more high speed drifting. Uh, we we want to start doing like bigger track events where we're doing that same driving um, or at least teaching that same style, style of driving. So you could slide the car at 80, 90 miles an hour. Yeah. So as you talk about this stuff, the one thing I, I, I pick up from it is there's a, uh the constant in what you're doing is change. Like you're going from one thing to another thing, to another thing, to another thing, to another thing. And I remember a quote you said to Adam Jabay um, when you talked about slip angle and you said, never be afraid to learn something. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was in the context of transmissions and transmission programming at that point. Sure. But that seems to be an ethos that you have with everything. Yeah. Like yeah, never sure. be to, to try something new and learn something new. And like mm -hmm. there is, if you look around you, there's something you can be better at. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that I think this entire industry that I've, that, or that's drawn me to this industry uh, is you always are having to learn something. Uh, you know, like I, I tune cars for a living or I, I, you know, build race cars and it's, it's constantly new stuff I'm trying to learn. Like that's, I don't know. I, I have a fascinate, fascination with just learning new things. It's super rewarding. Were you a good student? 
No, I, I feel like I did not learn this until like the last maybe like seven years. Like, I feel like it was just a new chapter that opened up in my life. And I'm like, oh, my God, I want to learn. Like, I, I want to go back to school now just so I can learn. But you asked me that 10 years ago, I would have said no way. What was happening around that time, like seven years ago, when you said, you know, you kind of had this attitude or, or mental shift? Like, was that the time when you had met new people? Were you, um, like, about to make a big change in your life? Like, what was actually happening? That, it, it really was, I feel like, when I met some new people and kind of got an interest into really doing more of this stuff and then became inspired by some of those people and then it just started snowballing from there you know just start to get hungry for for to learn something and you learn that thing and it becomes rewarding and it's like all right I want I want something else and you just keep trying to you know you want to learn more and more and more and then it just gets out of control <laughs> I wonder forgive the question this isn't to put you on the spot what's the end goal with that like that's that's often one thing i i hear or see like if if change is the constant if like constantly like looking to what's new what's like what's the through line or like what's what's at the end of it i mean i don't know if i have a really good answer for that other than to just enjoy what i do you know, I, I feel lucky I get to wake up every morning and go, I look forward to going to work. And sometimes I, I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's on my weekends. I don't really stay at home. Like I want to go to work and I want to, you know, learn, you know, whatever I'm, whatever project I'm working on, I want to go and learn and, and figure that out and, and build it. And I want to see the finished product. So, I mean, I don't know if that's maybe the best end goal answer. Um, I'm, and I have certain like goals I want to accomplish, but I don't know if that would be the answer for the, of the end goal of this. The end goal, I think, is just to always just enjoy what you're doing, have fun. So what are the things that you want to try or you want to do? Like what are, <laughs> what are the next set of goals? For, for me personally, as like a driver, I want to start focusing more on the drifting. Um, you know, I've, I haven't really taken that super serious other than just some of the fun events we've done. Um, but I want to really focus on that. I want to not only learn the, the, the driver part of drifting, but I'm also like super intrigued with the whole car setup, suspension, all, all that stuff. It's, it's a whole different dynamic, um, in suspension than what we're used to. You know, you have to, you have the front wheels that are turning 60 some degrees and have, have weird, you know, all the caster and, 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 um, Ackerman and all that stuff. I mean, stuff we never really had to think too much about in the road race stuff because your wheels never turn more than 15 degrees. But here when they turn 65 degrees, start doing weird things. So that part's super intriguing. Um, But then, I mean, my other goals, more of a business business standpoint, I guess, uh, would be to just kind of grow the whole team stuff. Get um, uh, We're starting to do some more in the endurance race stuff. So I want to be able to... I want to try to take take these S two thousands and try to do endurance racing with them. So, yeah, I saw the uh, the red one with the uh, the Firebird logo on the yeah. head. Yeah, yeah, that one. And then Alex has um, another S two uh, that we're starting to do some with too. So between those two cars, I want to try to get an S two thousand to 
the, the end goal there would be to get an S2000 to compete against the GTO cars in the WRL class or WRL series, which are like GT4 level cars. So, I mean, these are factory production right, right. production level cars. It would be really cool to take an S2000 as kind of like a home-built garage car and go compete against those guys. What do you think that's going to take? A lot. <laughs> our, our, first, our first goal is to try to just make it through GP2 class, uh, which is pretty similar to like GLTC power to weight. The um, GTO is 60 horsepower, 70 horsepower. So it's More. a bit faster. And um, if, we can, if we can compete in GP2 and, and figure everything out there, then adding power might be a little easier. And I assume... Do you have an, do you have an interest in pro racing? Like if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, I want you to do this in pro racing, is that something I, you have an interest in? Yes, mostly. Um, I kind of, I don't want to say I, I, I've given up on those dreams. I mean, that's always a dream to like be able to just go race and not have to pay anything or, or maybe even be paid, you know? Um, but I don't know. The one thing I, I got turned off from pro racing a couple years ago, uh, and maybe it was just the specific series. I, I went and did some tra- support um, for a team and it's just seemed like most of the people didn't want to be there. They were, or they were there for the paycheck. Uh, they weren't there because they wanted to be there. You took away the paycheck and they're not showing up. And it, it just turned me off to the pro racing stuff a bit. Um, I've been told by a few people now, like it's not all like always like that. There are some pro series where people are genuinely wanting to be there. Um, but it was probably just the people I was around maybe, but that part kind of turned me off from, from trying to do any sort of pro racing stuff. Plus, I feel I still feel like getting it, landing any sort of real pro racing gig is is quite uh, difficult. <laughs> you have to be pretty um, committed to like just going after that, and that would require me to like, you know, put business stuff on hold. And yeah, I don't know. I always tell my kids. I have a couple of kids who are pursuing mechanical engineering degrees. Um, Within, they have an interest in cars or motorcycles. And I said, yeah, there's there's way more people making money catering in Formula One than there are driving. Yeah. And so, like, if you want to be around racing, sometimes if you chase something other than what what looks like racing is the best way to be around racing. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to watch you, I don't want to say as a mechanic, but as a mechanic and a car developer be my perception of you is is that you are a phenomenal driver and like a super double phenomenal mechanic and car development guy um and i don't know if that's how you perceive yourself do you perceive yourself more as a driver or as the or as the team mechanic development guy <laughs> this is where i feel like i become bipolar or something or <laughs> like I, I i've always my competitiveness always starts to overtake the driver portion like i want to be the driver um but then sometimes i feel like i need to be the mechanic like the, the mechanic in me honestly came out of necessity to 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 drive you know i i didn't know i, I didn't i wasn't raised uh as a kid around cars or anything so most of the stuff i had to learn myself but i only learned it myself because 
I wanted to keep driving. Um, and, and that's probably, that's honestly why I kind of started the whole business a bit is I wanted to be more around racing. I wanted to go racing every day and be around cars every day. I didn't want to have to go to work and only do it on the weekends. So that's why I kind of started going down this route of starting my own car business and, and working on cars and trying to build track specific cars and do track support. Like I wanted to be more around it. Um, yeah, I mean, if there was another way, I guess, like, if at the time I could have, you know, been hired by someone to go pro racing, I, I probably would have jumped at that opportunity. Then the opportunity never came for me. So I just started working on cars myself. Now, you said in, in your former life, you were in IT. Mm-hmm. But then at some point, you started to work on cars on the side. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I was doing, uh, I had my normal IT job, nine to five uh, ish. Um, and just, you know, I, I would work on my own car, compete with it. And, and it was a lot of local events I would do pretty well. So I had a lot of people just start asking me if I could do what I did on my car, but on their car. I'm like, sure drop it off, whatever, I'll do it on the side, you know, this week. And, um, that's how it started. And it started to get busier and busier and got to a point. I ended up working, uh, had to back off my normal, uh, day job down to like 30 hours a week. So it was 30 hours a week at my normal job, 30 hours a week doing side hustle stuff. And then that eventually kind of just got too much and I had to just go full time. And Okay. You're, you're wired differently than me, so uh, I forgive the, like, blatant, straightforward question, but, like, that's not an easy decision to, like, no. leave your your paid job where you're an employee and you have at least some benefits to, like, start your own thing and you are responsible for finding work, for the quality of that work for ordering, scheduling, managing, like that's, that's, that's a massive leap in my head. What's like before, during, after what, what did you have to talk yourself through? I mean, it was, it was scary at first, you know, yeah, you you lose any sort of comfort with, you know, when you have a nice consistent paycheck coming in, you don't really have to worry too much. Um, so it was, it was worrisome. And, and honestly, that's probably why it took me, I probably spent a good year of doing like half normal day job, half side hustle. And I mean, it, it, it started to take a toll. Like, like I can't keep doing this. This is too much to be staying up till nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night, going to bed and then waking up and like, I'd get to my normal day job and just be so tired. Uh, so Eventually, I mean, it was, it kind of came with the support from other people too. It's like, just do it. You got to do it. And after I did it, I mean, it, it wasn't that hard. Um, like I, I kind of tell myself now, like I should have just done it sooner. And, and now I feel it was, yeah, the best thing I've best decision I've ever made. What's, what's one of the biggest lessons you've had to learn as a business owner? that you didn't see coming well i'm still learning um and i've I've, there's always new things to be learning as i'm going through this process you know i uh 
just in the last year, I finally hired like a full-time employee. And at the time that was like my big decision. That was, that was like stressing me out. I didn't know how this was going to work. I, I didn't know how I was going to manage this other person and make sure they had, you know, the work coming in and, and like just managing the jobs in general. So I feel like I've kind of gotten over that hump. And now like my next hump is like adding either more employees and, and more processes to the business. So it's not me having to do everything. Like I could have um, kind of working on having my sister actually do more work at the shop and, and she's going to maybe take on more of a management role. So I've, I've, I've got to create like processes for all of this stuff to happen because for the last, since I started, it was just kind of me winging it. Right. <laughs> and I can't just, I don't know how to tell her how to do something. Cause like, I, I don't know. I just figure it out as I go. Um, right. That's what I, that's my hardest part right now that I'm figuring out. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure once I get this maybe figured out, there's going to be something else. Um, and that's again, back to the whole learning thing. Like I'm just learning all this stuff as I go. I never went to school for any sort of business classing. So I'm, I'm, figuring it out and with, with the help of other people, um, it's, it's, I think been working out. So, and you're, when, when you say like that you have to help figure out these processes and like basically train people in not only how to do the things, but how you want them to do the things like some of the things you're doing, like you're building all sorts of wiring harnesses and mm -hmm. complex electrical stuff. You're building and shipping modified long blocks kind of all over the country. You do, you know, in shop prep installs, welding nonsense. Like, yeah, they're like pretty full service race shop at this point so which like what areas what areas do you not want to give up <laughs> like like which areas are the ones that you're like all right i need help with these but like i want to keep this one because this is like this is my icing over here i mean all of them i, I honestly i enjoy all of it i love that that was the the one thing at the beginning i told myself like I wanted to be able to do this start from finish, you know, a one-stop shop. I want to do everything. You drop off the car. I don't have to send anything out. I don't have to rely on anyone else. Everything's done here. So that was kind of my motivator for me learning on like how to do everything from building and assembling the engine to the wiring part, to the actual tuning. Um, and then to go beyond that, even to like, let's take it to the track. Let's dial it in. Let's test it. Let's see what this thing can do. So I wanted to be able to do everything. I'm still trying to figure out what my my role should be, like what's the most valuable use of my time in the shop. And and currently it's been a lot of like wiring and tuning. Um, and then beyond that, it's uh, it, it's just, it's kind of still the management role uh, that I'm hoping I can transfer over and having my sister do more of. But it's, you know, talking with the customers, ordering the parts, doing the invoicing, um, you know, all the the all that accounting stuff. I mean, I, I don't get to work on nearly as much car stuff anymore. It's, it's probably like three hours in the shop and then five, six hours behind a computer doing, you know, office, you know, weird or answering emails and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it was so simpler back in the day when I first started, I could, you know, I had a much smaller customer base. 
and I'd get their car and I could, I could literally talk to no one all day long and just work on what I needed to work on. And now it's like, it takes me six times longer to do stuff now because I get distracted from, you know, pulled in every direction. So it's getting harder for me to work on car stuff. And I want to try to fix that because I, I, I enjoy working on cars. It's, it's kind of therapeutic. Is the office stuff the stuff you just have to do to be able to work on cars? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's stuff you have. You can't not answer emails. You can't not invoice. You know, that's stuff you just have to do. And I've been getting by so far, but it's, you know, as the business keeps growing, like, I can't keep doing that. I mean, I could, but then I got to hire another tech. But I feel like finding a tech of, you know, to be able to tune or do the more advanced, skilled uh, jobs going to cost more money I'd like a, i don't know running a business is no one prepared me for all this stuff <laughs> so i'm trying to figure it out you spend a lot of time on the road too i love how you casually talk about just driving down dakota for a weekend but <laughs> driving down dakota for a weekend is like a six-day commitment yeah or i mean you can get you can get pretty far overnight if you don't sleep there's a lot of time in a day <laughs> Good advice. How's that working for you? It, it works okay once in a while. It pretty much leaves the next day kind of uh, a little uh, useless, but sometimes we have to do what we have to do. Road trip, food, guilty pleasure. Because yeah. oh. I know you have to have them. I, I've been trying pretty hard to not like just yeah dive into complete gas station food. And, and one lap honestly taught us that because the first year in one lap, we all made that mistake. Like every gas station stop, you're, you're grabbing, you know, candy, beef jerky, you know, whatever. Uh, and you start to feel not very good after three or four days. So we've, we've kind of learned to like just make a stop, you know, stop for 45 minutes, stop, have a nice maybe sit down meal, um, relax a bit. You know. See. Yeah. I, I love how you say that, that, that you front of the path. I was about to say that you guys do. You know, you, you just stop and you sit down for dinner. Well, sure you can when you leave like two and a half hours before the rest of us. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. The first year we we um we learned that the hard way too. We we didn't stop because we wanted to get to the hotel. Yeah. So we would literally just drive through munch on gas station food, but then we'd get to the hotel at like ten, eleven o'clock at night and what do you eat then? Yeah. Nothing. You you have you're stuck again to gas station food. So now we just we just stop every time at like seven eight o'clock. Stop no matter what. Even if the transit's going to take you to three three o'clock in the morning, you still need to eat. And you're either going to eat now and have decent good food, or you're going to be stuck eating gas station food and tired. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So far, I think the the longest we've we've stopped has been like for something like Subway. I think we stopped for Subway a few times. Oh. It's like the healthy We've had a few nice steak dinners and stuff a couple times. <laughs> Damn, you are living differently. <laughs> I've never done that. I think I've done one lap six times now, and we've never stopped longer than, like, I think we stopped in an A&W one time and ate in the A&W. And we felt like because we had lettuce and tomatoes on our burger, we were, oh. like, pretty yeah. much doing it healthy. No, 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 no. What what was the what was the transit this oh, year? The really year. short one that it rained as hard almost oh, as yeah. hard as I've ever. Oh yeah, it was like ever... a yeah two three 
hours of nonstop. That was from um, Hallett to yes. Forget where we went after Hallett, but yeah, yeah, I yeah, forget. That was yeah, it was like a yeah, it was like three or four hour transit, super short and out of character for the one lap, and I was like, hey sweet we can actually stop for dinner so we did and like we stopped after an hour and a half or something like that and then we got on the road and it rained like it took us you know i think another three hours to get through and i was exhausted (laughs) yeah you screwed us over that time scott good job yeah that was me (laughs) wasn't the weather at all seth Seth also doesn't like traveling as as a group so (laughs) Whatever. I hate it. Tra- so when you, I guess you guys, you guys travel pretty independently in one lap. Do you guys, you guys don't travel with a pod of other cars generally? We, or do we you? haven't uh, mostly cause we're, we were kind of always trying to keep the speed down and stuff with the car. Um, we did, we, we were, we, we knew this car was already like at any second it could break. So we were always driving like 60, 65, you know, we'd be blown by or people would just blow by us at like 90 miles an hour. Um, but yeah, we were always pretty calm just to be more conservative with the car. Yeah. I hate this year though. All the Sunday cup guys tried to travel together briefly and it's just so exhausting to try to keep track of other things yeah. while you're in the yeah. middle of a long transit anyway. That, uh, doing doing trips with like big caravans is a lot of work and you're always only as fast as you're as everyone is and as a group so like one person will slow the entire group down so everything just takes longer you know your fuel stops if everyone's waiting on one person you know so we've even when we like caravan with the rigs and stuff too a lot of times we'll just split up a bit just because we'll we'll, we'll all be faster if we just kind of go at our own pace versus everyone waiting on the slowest person. See, Scott, I told you. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I get it. I get it I from mean, like I, an efficiency I get point it's of view. It's fun to travel as a pack. Right. And that's my thing. It's like, I get the efficiency, like the raw, like good luck kid, <laughs> slap him on the ass and send him on their way. But it's like, but at the same point, like, I do see the cars who like blow by us on the one lap, even though, you know, we're able to kind of catch them because we don't stop like for very long and as little as possible. But like they'll be traveling like three or four and you see like uh, the other idiots with a bunch of stickers on their cars, like going by you or you going by them. It's like, oh, hey, look, it's a group of idiots, but (laughs) we all like each other. So I, I get it, but you're wrong. It's just what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, so next year is, (laughs) so you say you're tired, but you say next year is going to be busier. Yeah, I think so. It it won't be any less. I don't think, um, I mean, we've got one lap out of there, but, um, we're also adding Robert's doing the full pro series of formula D, which is an eight round series. And like, it's all over the country. So, with that being added in, plus there's a bunch of drifting, uh, drift events I want to do personally. And, and my hope is to maybe get, um, you have to compete at a few uh, like sanctioned series to get your pro spec license or your FD license. 
So that's kind of my goal this year is to compete at some of those events, get my actual license, and then maybe the following year do ProSpec. What does that licensing process actually look like? Um, to my understanding, is it's uh, there's certain organizations that are like given qualification that you can compete in, and if you you have to run their whole series, and a lot of times it's only like four events, it's not that many events, um, but you go to those events and you have to place so well. And I think if you, I don't know, just if it's a top three thing within that series for the season, you then get your prospect license where you, you can go do prospect. That doesn't mean you're automatically in prospect. You have to, there's more obstacles and hoops to jump through just to get into prospect, but you have to at least have your license first. Interesting. So it's an actual like results. It's not like exhibit. I mean, you obviously would have to exhibit car control and consistency and stuff like that is is that kind of why they, they have it? Like you're, if you like, I guess for the season, if you place this high up, you basically have had to demonstrate these things that right. we look for. I would think that, yeah, they, you, they want to make sure you're, you're actually, you know, kind of know what you're doing and, you, and you're good at it. And the thing to, to keep in mind with FD is F, formula drift really is like number one, a marketing company. They're all about the show. So you need to be good enough to be able to put on a show. So, um, yeah. We need to bring back uh, colored tire smoke. Do, they do, still have those. Do, do you remember those BF Goodrich? Yeah, yeah. There's, I think, I think they still have them. Do they? Oh, yeah. It's amazing, Seth. Do you do you remember those tires? Oh no, I re- I wanted those. They had like I would see yellow, red, and blue. I think was the the three primary colors. We're all this close enough in age that we remember all that the Fast and the Furious hot boy cool <laughs> stuff from back then. I mean, we you had to have read Super Street, right? Like back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good I, stuff. So remember yeah. the the neon I really wanted back in the day. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, I may have I may have even bought some at Walmart when I was a kid, sixteen. Threw good. it in the back of the car. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Um, and you have how many seasons of GLTC have you competed in now? Uh, three, three. Okay, yeah. Past, present, future of GLTC specifically. How are you? How are you feeling about it? How do you like the direction? All that. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I, and I would still love to, to keep doing it. Um, like if I wasn't in the position of supporting, you know, seven or eight other cars, like I, I would, I would totally still want to keep doing it. Um, the future is tough because I feel like there's a lot of growing pains that they have to overcome. You know, it's, it's on the verge of like still being amateur racing, but also could go pro racing. Like, is it considered pro racing? And, and I feel like there's a big jump in, or, a, you know, a difference between those two. And I, I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not sure whether it should be stay amateur racing or should it take the more pro racing approach. But I feel if it goes one way or the other, like things have to be constructed around that. Like if it's pro racing and the, the racers are the product that changes things a bit versus amateur like it's it should be more about the driver. Everything is about the driver, not necessarily the the spectator. So I don't know. This series um, 
feel is in a very tricky spot right now. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, cause we're, yeah, we have less races next year. Less GLTC races next yeah. year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Committed to having them all live streamed. Um, and depending on if track day picnic happens or not, all of them maybe like we may have no GLTC races that aren't live streamed. Yeah, seems yeah. seems a bit more of a product. Yeah, which I think can work. You know, I, it's it's tough. I, I feel I, I feel bad for Adam and Abe and, and all of the grid life because they're the ones that making yes. you know calling these shots and. And if it works out, you're not going to make everyone happy. And there's always going to be the people that are going to complain about something. Yep. Um, they're just the ones that, yeah, they're they're in the position that, yeah, you're not going to please everyone. Um, all they can do is try. I, I feel like they're going to make the right decision. I mean, they've they've gone this far and it's been pretty successful. Yep. Um, but I, I do I do hope some of the rule things maybe get fixed a little. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not too worried there overall it's still going to be it's still going to be fun yeah the there is a benefit to having a benevolent dictator uh yeah. at, at the helm uh <laughs> you know the the soul of a thing can kind of stay intact a little bit more yep a little bit more faithfully i think so <laughs> well who i mean it's it's weird i mean you can't really thank yourself but like who uh who do you need to thank? What do you want to plug? Say hi to. Oh man, this is this is tough because I know I'll forget people. So really, I just have to thank everyone that's been involved. You know, with with everything, all the all the the drivers. You know that that give me the privilege to uh, and entrust to me to work on their car. Uh, you know, the, there's a lot of companies that help support us through the process. Um, I, I, I won't name everything or everyone because I know I'll just miss stuff and then I'll just be upset at myself about that. But those people know who they are. Um, and I mean, anyone that represents the ASM, you know, has probably helped in some way. Nice. Uh, website is? ASMotorsports.us. There it is. Well, Andy, thanks for your time. I appreciate having you on. No, thank you guys. I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And I'm Andy. We'll talk to you next week.